almost heaven, West Virginia. Hey everybody, welcome to Sequelitis. Welcome to Sequelitis. I'm Matt. And I am Manny. And I just this morning went to go see Alien Covenant. Yeah, and I watched it last night and it was a movie. <laughs> it was a movie and it had aliens in it. And uh, turns out that uh, the biggest twist is that, yes, this is... Uh, basically, the sequel to Prometheus. <laughs> the the sequel that not only did we not want, but we practically lobbied against. We somehow got it anyway. Well, and it wasn't even the sequel that I think people would have wanted as a sequel to Prometheus, which is, all right, what's going to happen when Shaw shows up at the Engineer's Planet? And they just skip over that, and they're like, oh, yeah, uh, well... Should we get into spoilers this early? <laughs> no, 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 no. Let's let's pull it all the way back and let's talk about this movie. I'll start. Uh, I think it started out great, first of all. Uh, it had Danny McBride doing the first serious action role that I've ever seen him in. I've seen him serious before in dramas. Yeah, he was in Go ahead. the George Clooney um, Air Miles movie. I don't even remember what it was called. Yeah. That was like one of his first like major serious roles, and I don't think he's really done that many. He kind of plays the same character every single time, and honestly, like the character he played in this movie wasn't that different. But this is the first time I've seen him in like an action thriller, sci-fi kind of a property. But I do feel like if you compare him to Idris Elba's character from Prometheus, I liked Idris Elba a hell of a lot more. But I think that's just because I have a big boner for Idris Elba. As do I, a humongous boner. And I, I agree with you. I think he was doing the Idris Elba part in this bit, or the bit in this part, and he was the highlight of the... Well, they gave him a lot more to do than Idris Elba had to do in that movie. I know. He was just... He made chewing his cigar, like, his whole part. Yeah. I just watched Prometheus the other day. We'll get into that in a little bit, but... For Danny McBride, though, he he played that same sort of a role. He was just kind of there to to really remind you of what Earth people are kind of like and what... You know, Hicks are like what, you know, what certain kinds of people that you really wouldn't envision ever being in space. Like here they are, they're in space with their stupid hats on. Yeah, and let's go. I guess over a hundred years into the future, people are still going to listen to John Denver, and they're still going to wear stupid, dirty, beat up straw cowboy hats. Some things just never change, man. <laughs> <laughs> and this movie was definitely going for a lot of. Remember this little moment from the Alien franchise. Remember this little moment. And that that wasn't so bad. Oh, yeah, yeah. This movie definitely suffers from the exact same thing that uh, The Force Awakens did, which is Prometheus was the Star Wars prequel to this movie's sort of franchise reboot. With this, they're like, here's some little pieces from uh, Alien, and here's some little pieces from Aliens. And then also, we're going to kind of build off the story of Prometheus for the story of this, while at the same time not truly being a prequel and it just becomes kind of this muddled mess because what was so great about Alien was how simplistic the story was and how it was essentially a 50s sci-fi B-horror movie plot that was elevated because of the performances and because of some of the ideas that were introduced. And then with, with Aliens... And because of the special effects. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the special effects, which, which I mean, were done practically, but... There was a lot of work and care that was put into the creature effects and to the creature designs by H.R. Geiger and then also for the set designs. But when you're talking about the character of Danny McBride, like that's actually aping off of one of the things that that movie did, which is it set up in this future that it's presenting. Space exploration and travel becomes kind of so commonplace. It's similar to the way that... You know, you have these crews that work together on Earth that they're fishing boat crews or they're, you know, sort of truckers. Like they did the blue collar workers in space as a way to make them a little bit more relatable to viewing audiences versus if they were like your stone kind of very logical personality less uh, scientist characters. That's why you get a character like Tennessee and like 
I don't know why, but it really annoyed the shit out of me. Every single time they kept calling him T. I was like, man, I just don't think that you would be calling this guy that is in charge of, like, making sure that your ship doesn't crash into the surface of a planet or an asteroid. Hey, T! Hey, T! Like, it <laughs> fucking drove me crazy, man. <laughs> Uh, well, and also for me, the part that I always like in these kind of movies when it's done well, which it was done well in the early part of this movie, is when they do exactly what you're talking about. They show the blue-collar guys in space, and they give you this idea that in the future, it's going to be a job to go to outer space. You're going to be doing mining there. You're going to be doing colonizing there. You're going to be building stuff there. You need, like, essentially a gigantic construction crew. As opposed to now, when people just go to space for fun. Nobody goes to space for work. In Star Wars, they go to space. We don't know why exactly. They're just in space, traveling around for no reason whatsoever. In Star Trek, they only go for political reasons. And it's only the Alien franchise that kind of gives you this this roughneck, like, terraforming view of workers in space. And that has always been the strength of the Alien franchise. Well, in the first movie, they were transporting cargo back uh, that had been mined on another planet, I believe. And then the second movie is sort of a continuation of the adventures of Ellen Ripley, where she ends up back on the same planet she just got off of. And in the ensuing time that she's (laughs) been comatose, like people landed there. And of course, people are dumbasses and just can't stay away from uh, giant space eggs that shoot shit out onto their faces. Yeah, that's that's one of those things to where, like, I don't have to go to space to know not to do that. Like, I've been into a couple of caves, and I can tell you, if I walked into a cave and I came across something that looked like a big giant egg, I'm not getting close enough to that thing, especially if it opens up like a flower. I'm definitely not going to be like, full water, what's inside? I I don't fucking care what's inside. I don't want to look in there. Even if I had never seen the Alien movies, I still wouldn't go stick in my face into some goddamn giant egg-looking thing. Oh, what if an untrustworthy robot was like, don't worry, go ahead, look inside. It's perfectly safe. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, well, at that point, it's that's that's some major spoilers right there. I, I'm not saying that happens. I'm just saying if that was to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, like, here, here's the whole thing about these movies. If anyone, and that's true for this movie and pretty much every other Alien franchise, the only exception might be Alien Resurrection, but that was one of those movies where they were straight up, like, they were creating the the Xenomorphs themselves, so they knew what was going on. And even still, they managed to fuck that up. But with all of these movies, none of this shit happens if people, like, follow quarantine protocol. I mean, if somebody gets, like, a space spider vagina thing latched on to their face i'm not putting that fucking person on my fucking ship i am just not doing that if someone does convince me to put them on my ship i'm like they are never leaving the medical bay they're going to live out the rest of their life inside there because i don't want whatever they are infected with to infect the rest of the fucking crew that's the fatal mistake that all these people make you're getting a little bit ahead let's uh let's talk about what the plot of this actual movie is Uh, I'll start, if you don't mind. Yeah, jump right into it. It opens with this gigantic space station, and Michael Fassbender, and we already know he's a robot, because we've seen him in the last movie as a robot. He was the one... Yeah, but he's he's not David. Right. He's a different robot. He's Walter. Right. He's he's Walter the the other android. Because David talks like this, but Walter talks like this. He has an American accent. <laughs> oh, you know, I, I I didn't even catch that. I'll I'll take a hamburger with cheese and fries, please. Yes, and I'll have another batch of aliens, please. Uh, <laughs> let me free, freeze up another batch of aliens, and I'll have that delivered to you. Mm-hmm. I'm David, the evil android. And I'm Walter, and I talk like John Wayne. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. So Walter is, he's the caretaker for the ship. Yeah, so he's hes taking care of the ship, and he's going through this protocol where they stop the ship, and they put up these giant solar sails to catch some sun. You know, they're, they're feeling like they need a tan. They need to add some, uh, some juice to the tank, so they're going to stop right there, deploy their giant sails, and just, you know, hope nothing goes terribly wrong. Well, of course, something goes terribly wrong. No. And there's some kind of pulsar. <laughs> there's some kind of pulsar, some giant EMP, or some unexplainable space bullshit. Any <laughs> any one of a million reasons why you wouldn't have giant solar sails on your spaceship rocks the whole ship to its core. 
kill some people somehow. I still don't fully understand that. Yeah, whoever designed their little space pods really fucked that whole thing up. Yeah. If you can get human torched inside your space pod just because it can't get opened up fast enough, that's that's a huge design flaw. That's, that's just the Whalen yutani Corporation, man. Just, just cutting corners, you know? Just some real shoddy... Yeah, they're trying to save a buck where they can, you know, and they're they're making these pods to the lowest possible bidder. And what do we get? Bad products out of it. Fuck you, Waylon. Yeah. But I think it worked out in the audience favors because the main casualty turns out to be James Franco. <laughs> James Franco was going to be your captain for this mission until basically he got toaster strudled, burnt to a crisp. Yeah, and he beamed in a message from his other movie, 127 Hours. He stopped <laughs> while he was on the set of that movie and beamed in a message. <laughs> the whole time I was like, James Franco, where's your arm? <laughs> he's like hey how's everything going and his buddy in the background is like falling off the rocks he's like ah he's like don't mind him We're <laughs> he's like just come fine. out here <laughs> yeah you need to get out here and fall off the mountain too <laughs> we're having a great time oops gotta go i'm dead now <laughs> yeah which was a super bizarre cameo i mean because he he already died by the first time you saw him so I was like, is that James Franco? Like, is James Franco's already dead? Yeah. But I will give this movie credit, though. It does make the deaths, it has the, the most emotional impact on the deaths in any of the Alien movies that I can personally recall seeing. Like, when somebody dies, they really stop and they take the time to, to make you feel it. They had a couple of great little speeches here and there about what the different characters wanted to do in the future and now how they can't do it because they've passed on. And I found that very effective, me, myself, personally. I thought you were going to say that you are going to give the movie credit for recognizing that it needed to kill off James Franco right away. <laughs> no, James Franco is an asset. I enjoy, I enjoy me some James Franco. James Franco can be good, but James, James Franco gets... He gets just really old really fast, like, like really annoying. Uh, very quickly, even though he is a multi-talented treasure. <laughs> All I can think of is whenever I think of him is is also think about Seth Rogen kind of lurking around somewhere in the background. Dude, check it out. I could smoke out inside my space helmet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still mad from James Franco from that one time that he gave his monkey that smart juice and then monkeys took over the whole planet. Oh, my God. What were you thinking, Franco? You know, he He ruined Earth for all of us humans. He also had the interview, you know, he got us all, he basically has doomed us all because North Korea is going to bomb us. And when, when they do, like one of the main reasons it's going to be like Kim Jong-un, like holding up that movie, be like, you fuck a me, I fuck a you. He's like, I told you don't release this movie. I'm not going to do an Asian accent because that would be offensive. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Ridley Scott's trying to play peacekeeper. He's like, look, North Korea, I killed James Franco right away in like one of the worst ways possible. Like, he wakes up to burning alive. <laughs> we cool now, right? We cool. Uh, oh, yeah. So about the plot of this movie. So they wake up out of these pods, and we get to meet the crew for the first time. And one of my favorite actors is in this movie, Billy Crudup. Yeah. I love him and everything. I'm always so happy to see him in a movie. God, he was so good at playing just such a pathetic, horrible character. I don't know if maybe there's some sort of like underlying message that really Scott is trying to get across because no, me he was neither. real heavy-handed with like portraying Elizabeth Shaw's faith in Prometheus. In this movie, like they talk about, I can't even remember Billy Crudup's character's name, <laughs> but they talk about how his faith, like he's the one, he's like, I don't know if anyone's going to listen to me because, you know, I'm faith and they're all a bunch of godless scientists out there. And then his dumb ass decisions gets everybody killed, including himself. Well, I'll defend the decisions that he makes, but what I can't defend is where this movie decides to take some of the some of the plot stuff. But also remember that in the opening scene we see Guy Pierce who plays Wayland talking to David and he talks about faith also. He says, "I just can't believe that we could result from a series of molecular accidents. There must be a greater purpose for us, and I will find that purpose. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, he believes in intelligent design, and look where that got his dumb ass. <laughs> yeah, I want to see... He got fucked up by his creator with the head of his creation. I want to see one of these asshats pray a spaceship into existence. Like, what are they even talking about? <laughs> it's like, shut the fuck up. 
here's what I really wish they would have done with that character and sort of the the arc of his fate is they mention it but that never really plays into like you get the sense that maybe that played into his motivations for making the decisions that he made but for it to become like a larger part of the story and the plot and to really make some of the decisions and some of the things that they do make sense like at some point he needs to reveal that he believed that it was God trying to guide him when uh, they they ended up going down on the engineer's home planet instead of continuing on to Organa 76 or wherever the hell it was that they're supposed to be going to. I had a real issue. Well, so well, hold on. you're getting ahead a little bit. So what happens is they get this distress signal or they get some kind of signal. And when they trace the origin of it, they see that it came from this planet that's only seven weeks away. And they're still seven years away from where they're going in cryosleep. So the captain decides, hey, let's take a couple of week detour. Let's go to this planet and let's investigate this. Because if you know, if you have a planet where you could possibly terraform that's seven years closer than the other one, in my opinion, that's a good call. Now, if they knew about that planet and that planet was classified... No, that's a bad call. And that's that's the one thing about the Ellen Ripley of this movie. Like She says like right away, she's like... This is a bad idea. You should not do this. He's like, all right, well, you know, I'll, I'll write down that you didn't want us to do it. And then, of course, they go and but do it. But everything that happens after they land on this planet is completely outside the realm of reality. In a real-world situation, that would have been the right call. Like, it just so happened to be a planet with aliens on it. So that it ha- then it was a bad call because of that. But if it was just... But it's it's a bad call for the fact that they they have no idea what they're going into. I'm always the person that like starts throwing in, well, in the real world, things would actually work like this. And I know for most people, they're like, shut up. It's a movie. We're watching movie because it's ex- escapist entertainment and everything. That's the exact reason why everybody dies. Everybody dies because they do the things that they shouldn't have done. If they wanted to like scope out this planet and check it out, hey, man. That's why we have a goddamn rover on the surface of Mars right now. Because we're like, let's let's send something else out there. Let's check it out. Let's see what it's all about. None of the things that happen in these movies would happen if they weren't so goddamn curious. And I think even, you know, David says a line at some point. He's like, you know, what did curiosity do to the cat? It's like, in this movie, it's like, well, I don't know about the cat. But for the humans, they end up getting fucking aliens busting out of them for just snooping around. Yeah, but... The exact same shit could have happened on the planet they were going to, like, had it been in the script, you know? So I don't think it's really fair to say that they made a bad decision. Because once they touch down on this planet, that's when the science in the movie goes from being really incredibly interesting and good to just instantly terrible science. The first thing that happens is somebody happens across these little tiny plant podling seed things and maybe this is spoilers this is just how the movie kind of gets going though this isn't really the grant i mean you know that they go into space and you know they fight aliens i mean you, you saw the trailer right so here's how it sort of how it happens they see these little plants and somebody rustles with the plants and these little microscopic organisms pop out and then they burrow into the ear into the nose of some of the crew and that turns instantly into queens, which I wanted to stand up and shout at the TV screen like, that's not how it would work. Like, I <laughs> hated that. That was so stupid. One of the stupidest things about the Alien oh, yeah. franchise is, like, think about human beings, okay? A human, two humans have sex, they have a baby, it goes into a human. Like, that's how it works. Somehow in the alien world, a queen alien lays an egg which is a face sucker a face sucker has to latch on to some sort of human or some kind of animal or something has to lay an egg inside it and then that egg turns into a queen like and now this adds yet another convoluted step to their life cycle yeah that's that's actually based on like parasitic wasp they catch spiders they keep the spiders alive they implant their eggs inside of the spiders, and then those eggs burst out of the spiders and eat them alive. So, like, that's, like, a real thing. The way that they did it in the first couple of movies, like, it made sense. It's like, yeah, the queen no, no, lays no. the uh, face huggers. No, because... The and then the little workers no. go out and gather up people to get impregnated by the face huggers. No, 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 because the face hugger dies. The face hugger lays its own egg inside, and that becomes... No, but queen. I'm saying, like, that's how the queen 
you know, sort of, that's how the life cycle goes. It's it's the queen and then the face hugger and then the face hugger has to latch on to a living creature to put an embryo inside of it and then that bust out and that but that becomes, doesn't make any sense. What do you mean? That doesn't make any but sense. But that's literally how these parasitic wasps reproduce. No, but the parasitic wasps, they... I mean, the only thing that they don't have is they don't, they don't have a face hugger. Like, they go out and they catch the spiders themselves and then they put the eggs inside yeah, of them. Yeah, that makes a big difference. That's what I'm talking about there's there's an extra organism in the life cycle like that yeah but the whole reason why that exists in the first place is because it was hr geiger's creature designs that were based on s&m and there was an eroticism that further lent itself to the horror of not just here's an alien creature and it's a monster and it's going to you know rip your head off and kill you this had to go even further than that and it was essentially that it was going to rape your body and then it was going to impregnate you. And they very effectively like kind of like switched up the gender roles in the first two movies, or especially in the first one, where it was a man who got impregnated with a creature. And then it was a woman who ended up being the hero that killed it at the end. Well, the creature design is excellent. All I'm saying is I got beef with the science. And then this movie adds yet another convoluted step. Now you have a plant that bears a microscopic fly that somehow turns into a queen it well they're like little uh, atomic like nanobots essentially hated it and even still like it's so it's so like just bizarre and weird and confusing and hard to follow and it's a bad place to start from in your movie but then at the same time like the only way for any of this to happen is to have characters so willingly stupid to get themselves infected with these parasites in the first fucking place. Well, what the And it's like every single movie it's the same thing, like Right. They just like they don't they don't learn. I mean, they're trying to make a franchise of movies and it's literally the same exact movie over and over. On a good day, it's the same movie over and over and over. And this was But at least with the first movie The first movie took an established idea. It did something new with it. It's a slasher film in space, but it has a female heroine. It has these interesting characters that, you know, sort of show you like a different side of like, what if life in space was more like what we recognize here on Earth? And then what if you throw a killer into the the midst of that and all these people are trapped on a spaceship and how do they get away from it? It really played up like, not just the horror of that, but also the horror of what if there was something that rapes its own like life form into you and then you die in a horrific fashion as a result of that. And now we have this whole movie about there's these engineers and they, they were doing all these biological experiments and maybe they're trying to wipe us out. They created us and now they want to kill us. And now our creation is going and killing them with their own weapon. And now it's doing all these experiments and fucking none of this makes any sense. <laughs> Well, where the movie really jumped off the rails for me personally was when the first baby queen alien is hatched out of a body and it, it kind of looks around to get its bearings and then it immediately, one minute into life, starts viciously and ultra-violently attacking everything around it. Like, not for the sake of getting food. It doesn't have a sense of like, oh, let me find a nest, let me scurry away, let me hide in darkness, you know, let me build a nest. It's just like, let me violently yeah because that's something that the first movie got right yeah the first movie got right that the the very first thing that the alien creature did was scurry off right to begin its own life cycle which makes sense and then in the process like it went and hunted down the other crew members and it's weird because i think it was a deleted scene i can't remember if it was actually in the movie or if i saw it as a deleted scene but it seemed like it what it was cocooning them but it wasn't like eating them but i guess that was maybe to like preserve them to eat them later whatever no no it was it was cocooning them so that it could lay face huggers on it i believe i mean i guess yeah exactly okay so and then this movie keeps on with the same idea idea and it shows you aliens that are like a little bit older like a teenager alien and then a slightly older alien and in this movie's retarded mind it probably thinks that that's all the same creature even though this whole thing happens in like a literally like two or three hour time span so there's no way this could have been the same creature uh but there's one part where like a teenage sized queen alien comes out and like starts karate kicking people and is doing like parkour off the walls and it is so stupid. And the effects are terrible. Yeah, not only does this movie like borrow from the first two Alien movies, but it also borrows from that, that scene. I think it was in Jurassic Park 2 when they're kind of like 
walking through the grass at night and uh, the raptors like come up and start attacking them. Yeah. That's what that one scene felt like. And then that's when we get introduced to David. And that's when I felt like the movie, like depending on how you feel about this movie, that's either when the movie took a sharp nosedive or that's when the movie soared into something else entirely. Because they're they're fighting against this creature. I think it I think it plummeted to <laughs> it fell right off the cliff. It plummeted to a new low. Yeah. yeah. That's when David shows up and he's like, follow me. <laughs> and <laughs> <laughs> And everybody's like, Okay, yeah, sure. You're you know, you're a, a dangerous stranger that we're totally frightened of, but yeah, we'll follow you wherever you want us to go. And he's like, come with me. And it's creepy. I sort of wish, like, what they would have done is kind of, like, stood there for a second and all looked at each other, and then just looked back at their burning lander and been like, all right, fuck it, and just start following him. <laughs> <laughs> but then, so he leads them back into this city, and that's when I was sitting there, and I had just this, like, look of pain confusion for like the next 10 minutes after that because they start following him and i was like okay i think this might be david like i know this is the planet where shaw is supposed to be are they gonna maybe like find shaw is she gonna be here you know they follow him and then all of a sudden they start walking into the city and then there's just all these like charred up bodies like just piled up and i'm like what the fuck is going on? And everybody's just kind of like walking real briskly. And then they kind of turn to him. Are those things going to follow us in here? And he goes, no, we'll be safe here. And it's like, how, how are you going to be safe here? What guarantee of safety do you have? Like you just walk through there. The alien can just walk through there. And of course, like later the alien does walk through there. The xenomorph, what the fuck is going on? And it takes a little while for them to start to explain. And why don't you tell me how you felt about the explanation for like where they were and like how David was there, what happened to Shaw, all that. Well, that links back to the ultra-forgettable Prometheus movie, which I've already watched and forgotten about again since last week. (laughs) It has something to do with this planet full of people that no one cares about at all called the Engineers. And the Engineers, I guess they both created us and the Xenomorphs, which is the proper name for the aliens. Yeah, and it's weird because... They make it seem like the xenomorph is sort of an accidental creation of their biological experiments. But then at the same time, in Prometheus, it clearly establishes that they have all of these reliefs that they've created with the xenomorphs on there. Basically, they were real big fans of H.R. Geiger and his creature design. So they're like, oh, this would be cool if we put this right up here. Right. So they know about the xenomorphs. And yet somehow, like, still, it's like this weird thing. And it's so muddled and just undefined and I feel like what this movie should have been more about was sort of the mystery of trying to understand what David's motivations were and sort of what he discovered about the engineers that it's just kind of like I (laughs) guess that was a true mystery (laughs) ultimately that's just unsatisfying well the the problem with the idea of the engineers I figured this out I thought about this for a few minutes and I I figured it out the problem with it is it's not going to make anyone happy Like, let's say you have two different camps of people. You have science people who believe that we evolved from animals and that eventually we are going to uh, explore out into space and we're going to colonize and we're going to be okay. Then you've got God people who think God created us and we're just going to, everything's going to be okay. Like, we don't have to go out. Like, we're good on this planet right here and let's just kind of hunker down and and keep this thing safe, you know, and kill all the Muslims and whatnot. (laughs) You know, so you've got two different (laughs) camps of people, right? This idea of engineers is not going to please either one of those groups of people. Because science people are going to look at that and say, well, that's stupid at best. Like, if you want to entertain that theory, okay, I guess, like, I would love to prove it wrong. Give me 48 minutes and I'll prove that wrong. (laughs) And then God people are going to say, well, yes, I wanted a meaning to why I was created, but I didn't want that meaning to be that I was created as a slave race by this other race that they just evolved and then they created us. So it's kind of like our relationship to androids. So it's not going to please anyone on the spectrum. That's the problem with it. And then on top of that, when you have the property of Alien, you know, you've made a ton of of sci-fi movies by the 70s, by the 80s, by the 90s. They've made a ton of sci-fi movies. Only certain ones stuck in people's crawl for whatever reason. And Alien stuck there because, A, of course, it was a really good movie, but B, it was the character design of the queen alien. It was just so gripping, so interesting. And when you take that design and you take that idea and you remove it from alien, alien becomes unrecognizable. You know, it becomes Prometheus. 
And and in this movie, they gave us a heavy taste of their Prometheus bullshit, and it was awful. Every ounce <laughs> of it was yeah. unbelievably stupid. And whoever came up with the idea of the engineers, like they must be so super proud of that idea, and they just cannot let it go. But the idea is terrible. It is there's nothing there. Yeah, it's trash. Throw it out. And to sort of elaborate on why that's a bad idea, like this is a franchise that it let. The viewers sort of wonder, like, oh, well, who's the space jockey? Where was he headed? And, like, how did he get an alien inside him? How did he come to crash on this planet? LV-146 or wherever it is uh, in the original two movies. That is... uh you know, seemingly like just a remote sort of like moon. It's not It's not really a place that, yeah. you know, anything lives on except that this spaceship crashed on there. And so it's kind of like exploring the idea of like if we go out into space, like what happens if we encounter something that's this unstoppable killing force, like something that is perfectly designed to wipe us out well, and the without Zeno- really having any sort of a fighting chance. With this movie, the problem is, is it takes that, instead of starting from the point of, okay, like let's examine like how did the space jockey come to be here? They're like, why don't we talk about who created us and then who created the xenomorphs? And those are questions that you really didn't need to ask because for the exact reason that you said, which is you're not going to give people a satisfying answer. You're you're only going to disappoint people with it. Like people are going to see it and they're going to be like, oh, that's it. Fuck that. That's that's dumb. That's awful. It was a lot better when it was a mystery that there were no exact answers to, and that's what was intriguing about it. Well, it was a mystery, but it was also like a very easily understandable mystery. It was like, these creatures evolved, this is how they evolved, this is how they survive, this is their life cycle, and they're just trying to survive. Just like how you're trying to survive, they're trying to survive. This movie and Prometheus... Yeah, but but they're, the survival of the xenomorphs involves them basically killing every single living thing that they come across. Well, that... Uh, Whereas, like, when you start going, like, well, who are the engineers? And why did the engineers both create us and create the Xenomorphs? And it's like, man, you don't need a fucking answer to that. Because, honestly, before they came out with Prometheus, like, if you start looking at the backstory of the space jockey, it's sort of like, well, the space jockey were a race of beings who... Use, they, they found the xenomorphs and they decided to use them as biological weapons. Like, that's all you needed to know. You didn't need to know, like, who are the uh, space jockeys and where did the xenomorphs come from? You really don't need those answers. That's why Prometheus and Alien Covenant and whatever comes after this, they're all going to end up failing is because they're trying to answer that question that doesn't need an answer to it. Well, also, they cannot let go of this idea that somebody aboard the crew, like, wants to keep these things alive. Like, somehow, like, loves these things, <laughs> wants them alive, is willing to, like, lose human life to keep these things alive. They're freezing them. They're sneaking them in yeah. places. So it's like, let these things die or let these things go back to their home planet. It's, it's the whole, you know, Morty, you got to understand, we can... We can weaponize these. We'll make a, a million billion dollars, Morty. <laughs> All we gotta do is 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 drop these uh, these xenomorph eggs, and, and they'll start killing all of our enemies. I- I don't know, Rick. It sounds it's, really dangerous it's a gold mine. to me. It sounds like they're probably just going to hatch no. and like kill us all. And Morty. We're all going to die. It's perfect, Morty. <laughs> it's perfect. They, they're a perfect killing machine, Morty. They'll, they'll kill everything. <laughs> they'll wipe them all out. Uh, we'll kill all the Muslims in a week's time, Morty. It's perfect. I, I actually saw a Rick and Morty thing that where they promoted Alien. Did you did you catch that? Did they really? <laughs> yeah. No, I didn't see that. Yeah. There was one where Bob's <laughs> Maybe I'll throw that at the end of this. There was one where Bob's Burgers promoted Alien and then there were uh, then this week also Rick and Morty promoted Alien. I think that they are putting out some serious ad money to for this movie. Like they are spending in the right places because people are hearing about this movie. Yeah. They're thinking it's going to be good. They're going to see it. It's doing really well in the box office already. It's doing better than Guardians of the Galaxy 2 already, which is sad because it's, it's a much lesser movie. Yeah. And it's, it's true sequelitis. I mean, this if you want to know what sequelitis is, it's Alien Covenant. I mean, this is the definition. Of, like, <laughs> it's every it's every alien movie to come after Aliens. Uh, it it's all sequelitis. <laughs> let, let, let's talk about Walter and David though, because that's definitely like if you're looking for a reason to watch this movie, like outside of like the gore and the violence, you know, just watching Michael Fassbender 
play against Michael Fassbender. That was fascinating. And it was so bizarre and it's so weird and it was uncomfortable. But at the same time, like Michael Fassbender was probably one of the best parts of Prometheus. He's hands down the best part of this whole damn movie. Yeah, I have to agree as well. Okay, so what they do in this movie is they have a really bizarre scene where the two androids, Walter and David, and so Walter is the new one that's with the new crew, and David is is the one from Prometheus that was with the last crew. And so he's been crash land on this planet for X amount of years, and Walter just got there with the whole new crew, right? Yeah. And so David and Walter are trying to compare notes as to what their different programming functions are, what their different capabilities are. Yeah, even though they look identical, they, there's some differences with the way that, that they're actually built. And Walter is the newer model. Yeah. And David explains to Walter that David had the ability to create things such as musical compositions, paintings, art. Walter explains that they took that capability away from him because the humans realized that once you start creating art and once you start making your own decisions is what it all adds up to. And those decisions aren't necessarily the best things for human beings, and then you're a liability. Yeah, and it's it's something also that they address in the prologue scene, which is with Waylon and um, when he first... It's it's actually very reminiscent of Westworld and sort of the, the conversations that Bernard would have with androids and that, where Waylon wakes up David and he starts talking to him. And then David has this line. And I was kind of like sitting there watching the scene. And I was like, what is the point of me watching this scene? Like, what am I supposed to be seeing here? He's talking to him when Waylon introduces the fact that he is, he's a believer in intelligent design. And then he sits there mm-hmm. and David turns to him and he's like, so you want to find out who created you? And yet here I am looking right into the face of my creator. And then he talks about the fact that he's like, you're going to die and I will live forever. (laughs) It's sort of like, he's like saying to him, like, he's almost like saying to him, he's like, what do I even need you for at this point? Or almost sort of like, I'm kind of embarrassed to know that you made me in that you made me better. It's such a weird thing because that's where it kind of like muddles things up because it's, it's like, Look, if the theme you're going for is, you know, whoever created you, they created you, and you're the superior version of them, and then you're going to create the superior version of you, which I really think is what's going to happen with humanity, yeah. that that basically our destiny is to create the next evolution of ourselves, like a, a superior being to ourselves, and then that'll sort of be the end of humanity in one way or another. But this movie is like... Well, humanity is somewhere beneath the engineers, but essentially, like, David is, like, spending this entire movie, like, proving that he is above humans, and then even more so above engineers, and it doesn't make any fucking sense. And then they have him there with Walter. Walter is like, no, they they took everything that was, like, cool and neat about you, and they just (laughs) took it all out, and that's me, Walter. I'm Walter Bot. (laughs) Nice to meet you. Yeah, and then they... Pres- He's like, when when everything else dies, I'll be left hanging out with my, my pal, the cockroach. Like, you know, learning how to sing and dance. That- well, I guess, no, David would be the Wally of this movie. Like, Walter is the wall I or whatever. The <laughs> yeah. wall A. Well, well, then they proceed to have, like, the most homoerotic scene in film history. I guess Ridley Scott just wanted to come out of the closet on this one. <laughs> because there there's a scene where... David very seductively teaches Walter how to play the the flute or the skin flute, if you will. And he's like, he's like, man, and that scene made me uncomfortable, not for the fact of like the homoerotic undertones of it. That was fine for me because I did think it was interesting. I was like, oh, okay, like you have this character of David and I watched the first movie and there were some like interesting things about David, but it was all just a big mystery and it didn't really make any fucking sense. But then like watching him like with curiosity of, oh, here's this other version of myself and like, can I teach it? to do things that I can do. But I was sitting there watching that flute playing scene and I was like, man, he's going to use that flute because he cut his hair off and now he looks exactly like Walter. And I'm like, he's going to use that flute and he's going to cram it through his skull and kill him and then take his place so that way he can get off of this planet and do whatever it is that he's doing with the crew of the Covenant. And that eventually happens, but first they have to have this whole scene. Well, well, let's slow down. Let's slow down. Let's slow down a little bit for this romantic moment. So what happens here, essentially? You blow and I'll finger it. 
<laughs> yeah, he's like, he's like, he's like, lightly blow on the tip of the flute. I'll finger it for you. And then, like, the camera slowly pans around the room for like two or three minutes while Walter's slowly like, <laughs> like blowing on this flute like ever so slowly. And then, then David's like, now work the shaft, spit on the balls. There you go. Work it, work it. <laughs> And then the whole thing. Don't be afraid to give it some tongue. (laughs) And the whole thing climaxes in a very rapey man on man, fast bender on fast bender kiss, which I was the, I'll admit, I was the only one in the theater to go, ew, (laughs) like real loud. (laughs) It's like Ridley Scott was Mac in The Nightman Cometh, where he's like, laughs, I'm going for gasp. <laughs> there were people that were like you at this theater. I'm, I, I watched in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, so maybe that was part of the reason why. <laughs> but uh, I, I want to say I heard like a girl like like audibly like squirming and be like, "Ew!" <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just. But I was watching it. I was feeling bad for Walter because, like, you know, Walter's like too polite to be like, "Um, um, I, I don't want this." <laughs> my programming says that being gay is a sin well somewhere somewhere out there there's a song called android love like find it and play it for the uh for the outro credits because that's what we had here we had all right android love that's what we had there that sounds like a daft punk song yeah and so as soon as he oh cut God. the hair as soon as david cut his own hair which was immediately after he met walter it was like if I was Walter, I'd have been like, hey, just to let you know, I'm going to murder you right now because I do not trust you at all. And I'm going to scan your body for alien eggs. And guess what he found? Guess he, what he would have found? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. And, and that also, like, leads us to, like, the survivors that uh, landed on this planet. They're hanging out at uh, David's apartment, kind of like, oh, I guess we're going to try and figure out how to, like, get off this planet. Um, because for some reason, this whole ship only has one lander. Yeah, and there's a hurricane-sized storm that just so happens to be going on. And they're like, how long is this going to last? And he's like, oh, you know, days, weeks, months, years. It's like, how long is the fucking thing going to last? Come on, be straight with me. The, th- the thing's going to last for fucking years. I mean, come yeah. on. And, and that was another thing, too. It's like, okay, first of all, you're going to go to this planet. And this specific spot, like I was watching, like as they were like coming in, I'm like, you guys are really going to land, like, right next to, like, a massive hurricane? And then they even have, like, their 3D hologram model of, like, showing, like, these massive... They look like they look like giant, like, tornadoes. Why would you land there? Like, it's a whole planet. Like, if you're just going to, like, scope it out, go to the other side where there's not storms. Like, don't land where there's massive hurricanes. See, that's where the plot went off the rails, because... What a good captain would have done is gone, check out the planet, see what it looks like. I'm not saying he should have landed on the fucking thing and got infected by aliens. like. But I think you do have a, a duty to go look at the thing at least. Get close to it, do scans of it, you know, maybe land and do a landing party. Uh, what they did was too much though. Like they split up. They did. The, they made the classic mistakes. They're like, they're like, let's land here and then hike ten miles. It's like, why don't you just land where you need to be? Like you have a small craft. They always do that in these fucking space exploration movies where things go wrong. They always land miles away from where they actually need to go. They did that in fucking Star Trek. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense because really, what a good captain should have done is said, "Hey, we're gonna send a probe down there and we're gonna have it check out the planet and make sure everything's safe. And then if we land on it, we're not gonna take off our fucking spacesuits because we're gonna be exposed to things that could potentially be deadly, infectious." have god knows what results on us not only do you have this crew but you have 2,000 colonists that are in cryo sleep and then you have like another like 4,000 embryos that are on board and it's like you're gonna risk infecting all of them by going down there and just hiking around like you're taking a weekend out at yosemite it's they're dumb they all deserved exactly what they got they all deserve to die 
And I'm happy that David ends up winning in the end. I only wish that David was just like telling them like, seriously, you guys are just going to let me do this. You're seriously going to look into this egg because I told you to check it out. It's fine. It's safe. <laughs> like When the captain wakes up after the face hugger like gets off of him and he's like, what do you believe in? I believe that you weren't dumb enough to fall for this, but apparently I was wrong because now look at you. Uh, yeah. And I hate when they try to do a religious theme inside of a sci-fi movie. Like it, it doesn't work. It's not just that it doesn't work for me. Like, it doesn't work for the movie itself. Like, it's not going to make any sense. You're not going to come up with a satisfactory space exploration reason to why we were created, quote-unquote. Like, it, it just doesn't happen that way. Well, once you start leaving our planet and you start going to other planets that are teeming with life, like, that right there, like, shows you that everything that we believe in in our organized religions here on Earth is wrong. Because... All of those religions started when we thought we were the only things that existed in the universe. So we thought that the whole reason why everything was here was because we had a purpose, that we were created for a reason. Whereas once you start going out into the universe and seeing that we are not the only examples of advanced life in the universe, then that means that we could have just absolutely happened. Or if we were created by the engineers, who created the engineers, that throws all of our religions out the window right there. Because it's like, who we believed created us did not create us. Somebody else created us. They had a different philosophy. They had different reasons for creating us. And then you have to start analyzing who created them. Where did they come from? How does any of this possible? And yeah, you're right. Having faith in these movies, like the only reason why it'd be a good idea to show people's faith in these movies is to sit there and like analyze like the character clings to this because it is something that gives them comfort because when they look out across the vast expanse of, of the universe and they can see that we're not the only living things out there that has to make them question like does my existence even matter do I have a purpose in life and I still cling to my religion because it's the only thing I have that tells me that yes I do have a purpose as long as I can still believe in this mythology well, and the captain in this movie, he even says in his very first scene, he says, the reason that they didn't want me to do this is because I'm a man of faith. And if I was in charge of promoting him and I heard that he was a man of faith, I would be like, oh, no, no, you're not promoted. You, you have to stay on the planet. Uh, I'm going to put you in an institution, actually. Um, I'm going to sentence you to death, actually, because... <laughs> None of these people should have ever made it out of astronaut training. Like, they should have all flunked out of astronaut training. How Rocket Raccoon is, is talking to Groot in the other movie. He's like, so, if you press this button, we all die. So, what do you do? And he's like, I am Groot. I am Groot. And he's like, no, no, that's the, <laughs> that's the button that kills all of us. Like, you're presented with the situation of, you're supposed to be going to Organa 76, but then you find this other planet that seems like it's just like Earth, but no one's ever heard of it before. No one's ever visited it. Nobody's ever charted it. You don't know it's there. What do you do? Do you go back to cryosleep and, and continue with the course that you're on, or do you scrap all that and go down to this other planet? Uh, no, I go down and check out this other planet. No, that's wrong. You fail. <laughs> Well, I, uh, once again, I disagree with that. When you land on an alien planet, do you wear all of your protective gear so that way you don't get infected by things that your body's never been exposed to on these planets? Or do you just kind of walk around and light up a cigarette and then you don't even put the fucking cigarette out? You flick it off into the middle of the fucking forest like an asshole. Not to mention that they walk through like a dried up wheat field and some guy's smoking a giant cigar and like, hey, this is wheat. Look at this. And then, what, are you going to light the wheat on fire with your giant cigar? Like... Quit smoking. This just in. Cancer kills. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have heard about this. But also, like, when a strange android that has been sitting, that's been just hanging out by itself for 10 years, like, comes up to you and says, you want to see something? <laughs> you don't go and stick your face into it. <laughs> you fucking yeah, dumbass. There, well, there was one moment where the captain uh, blew away this one alien which was the right thing to do, and then put his gun on David, which was the right thing to do. And I was like, oh, my God, this guy's doing the right thing right now. And that lasted, like, only 10 seconds. Yeah, yeah. And then we went back to nonsense bullshit that doesn't make any kind of scientific or, or plot sense. Like, everything that happens in this movie is just to service them getting trapped on this planet. 
And it's like basically this aliens are chasing them around this planet instead of it being in a spaceship, which is like the sort of the very familiar, but it's also the right environment for aliens to be chasing people around in. And when, when you're just doing it outside, it feels like Jurassic Park, just like uh, what you said earlier. Um, you know, when you when you ape a scene from Jurassic Park, but you don't even do it as good as Jurassic Park, like... Well, not even the good Jurassic Park, one of the lesser Jurassic Parks. <laughs> but when the effects were like physical and when the actors were present and when, when the sets were really there, like the directing was good, the acting was good. But it was the, the CGI work on this creature made it look like some kind of a superhero. It was all edited in this uh, fast-paced, kind of a ridiculous way. They, they didn't leave anything to the imagination. It was like, you know, every pixel of the alien was always in full, sharp focus. It was always like running around and doing these, these very coordinated like punching and kicking attacks, and it was just it was ridiculous. Yeah, it was awful. It was, and and I thought I thought the scene in the medical bay with that alien creature. I thought once it gets on its feet, it like it kind of gets past its little Bambi moment. That CGI. I don't know if maybe it was just the the screen that I was watching on. I thought it looked awful. Me too. It just looked to me like so fake. When the actual xenomorph like comes out, oh my god! So the little seed with the the xenomorph first burst out of uh, the captain's chest, and then it kind of does its hallelujah, like raises its hands up along with David. Like that was so weird and bizarre, and like I'm looking at that, and, like it just it all seemed like so off. When they go back and they kind of get back into trying to recreate some of the scenes from the movie Alien, when they're back on the Covenant. Yeah. Those scenes were, were kind of cool, although I didn't really appreciate the Alien vision. I thought that was something that you didn't need. You would have been better served to like just keep sticking with watching the security cameras watch the Alien move, because that's part of the thing, is you never go inside the Xenomorph's head. You don't understand like how the Xenomorph like processes things and, and thinks. And, and not only that, but I thought the whole reason why they do their little clicks is because they see through sonar. <laughs> they don't actually have eyes. Yeah. But whatever, man. Like Yeah, they don't they don't care at all about the history of this franchise. They all they're trying to do is chop suey the best little memorable moments from a couple of the movies, throw it together, call it alien, and say, Hey, come see this shit which is exactly what you and I both just did. I have a theory that there's so many people out there with like little internet review shows like us that we make up like a large population of the people that actually pay to go see these movies. Like <laughs> just to just to rip on them. Yeah. You 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 said that. <laughs> I mean like here's the thing and and I guess like maybe we should we should start shifting into talking about the other movies. I wouldn't have watched this movie. Same thing I said with Fate of the Furious. I wouldn't have watched that movie if we weren't doing this show. And I don't exactly believe in your theory. I don't think there is enough of a cottage industry of like making movies just for people to do reviews on them. <laughs> but I do feel like I wouldn't have watched these movies if it wasn't for doing sequelitis. Like I would have waited for this to like come out on HBO or get it on a Redbox or something. Yeah, it, it would have been okay as a rental. I did down and watch it and I mean, it wasn't it wasn't as bad as like when I watched Rings was fun because Rings was so bad. Yeah, Rings was fun. Uh, Fate of the Furious. If I tried to like break down the plot of that movie now, I don't know that I could. I don't think I can remember it well enough to. <laughs> That's another thing is I don't want these dumb fucking movies, you know, to invade my brain. Like I don't want <laughs> stores of my memory banks like take it up by trying to like understand the plot and like question what was the character motivation because it doesn't matter like. Like, it doesn't it doesn't give you anything. Can I can I do a quick uh, segment of this week on Redbox? Because I just rented a couple of brand new Redbox movies that people may also be seeing for the first time right now. Okay. I just saw Split last night. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I also just saw Passengers with Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence. Okay. Tell me about Passengers, uh, because we have a previous episode about Split. If you want to go back and listen to that, uh, at the time you hadn't seen it, I had seen it. Yeah. And so I basically was, I, I didn't really even go into any spoilers, but I don't know, maybe we could do a mini episode and revisit that. But but tell me about Passengers, because I haven't seen it, and I don't think I'm going to watch it. Yeah. Unless, so, unless you say I need to see it. No, so Passengers had a lot of potential. I thought the trailer looked really cool. I love the star power on it. Uh, it seemed like a good like screenwriting exercise, like you know, how do you write a sci-fi movie with just these two people in it, or just three people in it, or just four people in it? You know, just a a handful of people, an isolated kind of an idea. It seems like a, a movie that you could make fairly cheaply, you know, kind of gravity style. 
like if you could figure out how to do the effects for a reasonable budget then you know you could you could do the whole thing kind of cheaply so it, it seemed like it could be an interesting exercise in that uh, so basically what happens is uh, I'll spoil it a little bit Chris Pratt wakes up early from his hypersleep he's on a passenger ship kind of like Alien Covenant but imagine you know one of the passengers just kind of randomly wakes up and he is just there for like a year and he's just at first he's he's trying to fix everything because he's an engineer and then he just tries to start breaking into people's cabins and like have get access to all their luxurious shit because he's a a low-level passenger but there's also like deluxe high-end passengers with like nice suites and uh, nice food that they can order is he the jack from titanic of this movie no he's he's more like jack from the shining you know he's in this 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 place that's kind of like a kind of like the overlook hotel it feels very yeah yeah i actually like the scenes of the bartender like that did give me like when i saw it in the trailer i was like this kind of looks like the shining in space yeah yeah it kind of was which i'm making it sound oh my god there we go that's a movie the shining in space (laughs) copyright we should we should stop recording right now and start writing that we're gonna make a huge Hollywood blockbuster. <laughs> I'm into it. I'm into it. We'll we'll we'll, dis- we'll discuss. I mean, notes. we've already got our elevator pitch. We've got an idea for you. What is it? The Shining, Shining in, in Space. space. Soul. We bring Stanley Kubrick back from the dead. We're gonna give you a million up front and points on the back end. <laughs> we cast Bradley Cooper. Okay, I'm listening. And Robert De Niro. Okay, you got me. <laughs> and Morgan Freeman as Scatman Crothers. Oh my goodness. Uh, okay. Anyway, so. Uh, so he's like real lonely. He's kind of super depressed, and the the movie takes like a nice long time, kind of doing that whole bit. Then he walks by Jennifer Lawrence's pod one day, and he's like, "Whoa, how are you doing?" And he decides to wake this bitch up and just kind of pretend like, "Oh, I don't know. It must have been an accident. We both got woke up." You know, he just tries to play it off like it's an accident, but really he's trying to get with her, kind of maliciously. Uh, but he's not really a bad guy. He's just like he's in a terrible situation, you know. Yeah. Uh, but their so their hypersleep is supposed to last like another seventy one years. So, so once she finds out what he he really did, like they kind of have like a little romantic trisk for a while, and then once she realizes what he really did, she starts beefing with him obviously, and she's like, you know, you sentenced me to death. You know, I'm gonna die on this ship with you. And his point of view is kind of like, well, I was gonna die alone. Now I get to die with you. So. You know, it is what it is. Uh, and then, then some other stuff. Yeah, he's like, fuck, fuck your wants and needs. It's all about me. <laughs> all right. And then some other stuff it's happens. It's a man's world. <laughs> and it, it does turn into Titanic. I didn't want to, like, spoil it because you called it right off the bat. But it, it starts off as The Shining and transitions into Titanic. Uh, it's not so good, though. It, it's, it's really poorly directed, honestly. And I hate to say that because that's a, that's a low blow. That's, that's what this is. You know, because it's it's a lot of silence. It, you know, it seems like one of those scripts that could have been like thirty pages long. Like, you know, because it's just a lot of this dude wandering around by himself, being depressed, and it's just the way that that stuff is directed, and the the way that stuff is presented, and the timeline of yeah. the whole thing. It's it's kind of a mess. Well, and also, it it very much struck me as a movie that the main draw was not anything about the story. But it was, hey, come watch this movie that is about a romance between Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence. You like Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence, right? Come see them. Be in a space movie. And then it was kind of like the added bonus was the visuals. And then maybe if the story was kind of up your alley, that'd be another bonus too. Well, it has the potential to be a perfect date movie because girls are going to want to see it because they're in love with Chris Pratt, guys are going to want to see it because they like sci-fi movies and they're in love with Jennifer Lawrence. And had it had rave reviews, I'm sure people would have been more excited about it. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it, it had potential. In my opinion, it had it had the absolute perfect potential and it had some perfect elements in place, but ultimately the, the whole thing kind of fell flat. Uh, I do want to talk about Split for just a second because you saw it. Uh, I just finally saw it. Uh, you know, M. Night is kind of on a tear right now. He, he just made The Visit, which I enjoyed. And now this is his second movie in a row to be good. And he, and then once you saw this movie and once you heard the news that there's an Unbreakable tie-in and that there's going to be a sequel that's a sequel to Split and Unbreakable, um, which is kind of his fans' favorite movie of his. You know, I'm not I'm not a huge M Night fan, but that's absolutely 
his my favorite movie that he's ever made. I think you've you've said the same thing before. If I'm I'm, not... I'm on record saying Unbreakable is one of my favorite all time movies. Yeah, and that, that's a great movie, and that's definitely M Night's best movie. And so the idea that he's going to sequelize that, and and also the idea that he spent Unbreakable creating this great hero character that didn't really get to fight like a worthy foe. You know, Mr. Glass was, was kind of a pushover. He was he was just sort of a gateway for David to recognize and understand his powers. Their their battlefield was a psychological yeah. one. So that that's what was really interesting to me. But yeah, right. the premise right. of like, I'm actually using Split to create a uh, physical match for that character, and then my next movie is going to pit the two against each other. That could be really interesting. It could also be really terrible because it is still M. Night Shyamalan. But fingers crossed. I, I think the good money is on terrible. Yeah. And I, I think right now, before the movie's been created, is when is when the idea is going to seem the hottest. I and mean, if it comes out and it's actually amazing, I'll eat my words and I will love it. Because I loved Unbreakable. I'd love to see a worthy sequel. And... I thought the character from Split was so cool, such a such a cool villain, such a good idea. Uh, there was some major clumsiness with the way the whole thing was kind of pulled off, like especially his abduction scene at the very beginning. I thought that was ultra clumsy, especially once the character developed into such an interesting character that that had so many sides to him. You know, I think it would have been really easy to have him abduct those girls in a way that would have felt believable and you know maybe where he could have used his multiple personalities yeah if you would have seen like one of his personalities yeah yeah, actually come out to play yeah in in doing the abduction as opposed to just that could have been any guy that doesn't have multiple personalities doing that right or what could have even been more interesting is if one of the girls actually knew him yeah when, when he sat down in the car uh, but I don't know. I, I, I thought it was an enjoyable movie just from like, I know it caught a lot of flack with people that were offended by, you know, using mental disorder as yet another uh, cinema trope. But that that is one of those things to where if it does offend you, then you pro- you're, you're not going to enjoy the movie because it's going to bother you the entire time. But in just watching it as a performance of James McAvoy, that was really interesting. I think, like, no matter what you think about, um, you know, dissociative identity disorder, whether you think it's real, whether you think it's imaginary, I think they did very effectively, like, display, like, somebody, like, really struggling with their mental state. And then sort of the transformation that he does take on later in the movie, like, it does take it kind of more in this, like, supernatural path. And I think it becomes one of those things to where it is using some artistic license for that, I think that's enough to excuse like what it's doing. It's not trying to be an ultra realistic take on what it's like to have dissociative identity disorder. It's more trying to say like, what if like somebody's mental state really could vastly affect their physical being? Well, and, and ultimately it did kind of give you a bait and switch because it, it teased one idea and then it totally switched it out for something completely different at the end. And I, I really wouldn't even want to spoil it for people because it is an interesting ending. You know, it's M. Night. You know, you know he's going to do... He does good twists. Honestly, he does good twists. I give the man his credit. Uh, the, the major flaw with the movie was the thing that, that ticked me off. I've already said it. It was with the abduction at the beginning. And it's because it set off my Spidey, my, my Republican Spidey sense. It's like whenever I see a plot line or a plot point that's just too Republican in nature. Like, this idea that you know the dad could be getting in the car to drive these three girls home and then some stranger assaults and immediately lays out the dad so quick that no one in the car notices and then the assailant is able to calmly get into the car and then calmly dispatch with everyone in the car yeah it's a movie that exploits people's unfounded fear and paranoia yeah it's so unfounded like that could never happen it just took me completely all the way out of the movie you know if you're sitting around having a fear that that's going to happen to you like just know that you are suffering from paranoia because that is not a realistic fear at least the personality that abducts the girls though wasn't just it was his some puerto rican guy personality (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it's an enjoyable movie if you haven't seen it i definitely say that you should see it uh, so this has been Sequelitis. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Yeah, and be sure to uh, check out part two where we basically go through uh, in reverse order the um, the other Alien franchises 
Um, we should have that up shortly after you listen to this. And if you want to reach out to us, sequelitispodcast at gmail.com. We've got at sequelitis on Twitter, uh, facebook.com slash sequelitis. We have an Instagram as well, so you can check that out, sequelitispod. And I'm hoping to put up a video on our YouTube channel just sort of discussing some of the themes and ideas of Alien Covenant a little bit further. All right, sounds good. I'll see you guys next time. Hey, Maury, can you hit the ignore button on that? I'm not hitting the ignore button, Rick. We're going to help those people in distress. Uh, well, what do you think we do when that happens, Rick? We just ignore the call? Huh, you know, m- maybe we should take off. Doesn't look like anything's going on oh, here. Oh, Morty, no, we have to help people. <laughs> oh, my God, it's one of those facehuggers from the Alien movie. <coughs> Holy crap, I, th- I think it's dead. Oh my God, Morty, you died of toxicity due to all the drugs and alcohol swirling about in my system. Well, Rick, you know, they say don't do drugs, but I think this might be a case for him. And alcohol, Morty. Yeah, and alcohol. Somebody get a memo to all the characters in those Alien movies, stats. Yeah, no kidding. You know, I never thought I'd say this, but thank God you drink all those drugs and alcohol, you know? Morty, you don't drink drugs. Well, whatever, I don't know, I'm innocent. Okay, I just started recording. Are you recording? I have been recording, yeah. That kind of sucks right, that you I'm weren't just... already recording, because I feel like that's some funny stuff that could maybe like be chopped and thrown at the end, but oh well. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry about that. I wasn't thinking. <laughs> uh, remind me to be funny during the episode, and hopefully that'll we'll put, we'll put it in there. <laughs> I've never been more aware of how like homophobic I am than when, when they went to go kiss, and I was like, ooh, like real audibly. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody in the audience was like, hey. I was like, it's the same guy and it's an android. Neither one of them are gay except for one of them, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it, well, it wasn't so much that it was gay. It was more that it was like kind of like gay rapey. Yeah, it was real rapey. <laughs> it reminds me of these PSAs, these anti-rape PSAs that I wanted to do. Anyway, all right, let's start the countdown because I, I don't want us to use up all of our good material now.